podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. And welcome to the What If Football 2022 FIFA World Cup Daily Podcast. Day 8 brought us the titanic tussle between Spain and Germany. It brought us shocks aplenty from Costa Rica to Morocco. And it saw us claim one victim to World Cup elimination. Still with only one team through to the last 16, we are headed quite close towards the third match day of this World Cup. Let's review, let's preview, let's get stuck straight in. And we couldn't start anywhere but Spain and Germany. But first, I've got to remind you of our wee little schedule that we are keeping here on the What If Football YouTube channel, where we've got What If Football videos, of course. We've got on YouTube Shorts, Combined 11s and Predictors of the World Cup. And we've also got this podcast in video form, as well as on Patreon, the Great Games podcast every single day from great games in the history of the World Cup from the first weekend right through to the last as well. And of course, we are here on the Sports Social Podcast Network and anywhere else you get your podcast if you prefer to listen to this in audio form. The only way you can listen to things. Anyway, Spain won, Germany won, a game that Alan Shearer didn't seem to have much time for on commentary. Yes, commentary, but I thought it was quite a good game. If lacking a little bit in quality, then certainly good in terms of entertainment. A um, couple of changes for Germany was uh, Thilo Kerr in for Nico Schlotterbeck as uh, Nicolas Sula came inside in defence. Meanwhile, Leon Goretzka came on for uh, Kai Havertz to, uh, for Thomas Muller coming up front and Ilkay Gundian moving further forward. So we had that Bayern Munich double pivot and Gundian helping out really because it was going to be a midfield heavy game, especially the Spanish past masters, Pedri, Rodri and Busquets too. Uh, just the one change for Spain though, is Danny Carvajal came in for Azpilicueta. Fair enough, uh, bog standard straight swap there. And Spain as expected, Rodri continued at centre-half alongside teammate Aymeric Laporte. Uh, meanwhile, we had... Uh, uh, not uh, Nicholas um, Zula coming in at uh, right back this time, but centre-half, as already mentioned. So Spain, they were aggressive in the press right from the off. Germany, it seemed, couldn't really live with it. This is a facet more so of club teams when Spain were uh, 
when Spain was successful, largely Barcelona. But in terms of the national team, they were fairly energetic in the press, not as much as they were uh, tonight, really. Um, of course, slow in tempo is what you'd really expect from a Spain team, right up until a certain point, of course, when they pick and choose when to burst into life, lull the opposition into a false sense of security. And that was really at players. As you had Marco Asensio doing as he did in the in the first game against Costa Rica, dropping in between Pedro and Gavi. But Pedri, I noticed, was a bit more advanced in this game than he was against Costa Rica. Pretty much level with Gavi um, in bursting forward beyond the false nine. Against Costa Rica, he did hang back a bit more as almost a double pivot alongside uh, alongside Busquets, but here, full into life. And uh, you had the likes of Danny Olmo, Fran Torres running direct at uh, a couple of meek-looking German fullbacks, it has to be said, in um, in Kerr as well. One of his first minutes at the tournament, uh, Danny Olmo did cause quite a lot of problems. He provides the first big chance as well and a thunderbolt of an effort. And uh, Neuer looks pretty desperate in pushing it onto the bar with his... Uh, with his right mitt. To be fair, Ferran Torres caused big problems as well as an inverted uh, as an inverted winger up against David Raum. Um, but as the first first half wore on, they dropped they drops in um, the Spain side really out of possession. But it's not really a well the eleven that got put on the pitch really wasn't a, a Spain team designed to counter as uh, Germany crept their defensive line forward, really feeling as though they. Uh, there wasn't that much pressure. Now, of course, when you put in uh, Nico Williams on the right-hand side in the second half, there is a lot of uh, propensity to counter from the Spanish team. But really, in the first half, there was none. And Germany, since that, crept a little bit forward, almost played a high line to the likes of Saudi Arabia as uh, they performed it. So against um, against Argentina. And really, there was a glorious chance, albeit offside, but uh, Olmo and Torres combining two inverted wingers uh, linked up. With, and again, it was a hashed shot over the bar, which just about determined Spain's quality in front of goal in the first half, really, unfortunately. And um, in the first half, Germany, they began the game by sitting off, but then did go for that uh, high defensive line. They allowed Spain to pass the ball. Um, they, were a bit, they were incisive on the transition. Leon Goretzka good in uh, getting box to box a bit more than uh, Ilkay Gundian did uh, the previous game and uh, almost assisted Serge Gnabry on a couple of occasions. They would, they would probably, they wouldn't be as aggressive as Spain in the press in the first half, but um, they picked their moments mainly from goal kicks. And Unai Simon, really in both halves, was uh, to blame for giving Germany a couple of very good chances. The first one was to uh, Serge Gnabry, and he curled one into the uh, far corner, just past the post, though. And it's a bit of a warning sign as well. Um, so to the uh, disallowed goal from Antonio Rudiger, and if he'd have just timed his run a little bit more, better than um, we would have had a first goal of the game for Germany in the uh, in the first half, but just straight offside. And it felt as though the set pieces, defending set pieces, was a bit of a weakness for Spain. Quite a small team anyway, but uh, Germany, with, especially with uh, Rudiger, with Goretzka, with Sula as well, towering, and Schlotterbeck when he came on as well, um, a much taller, much more physical team than Spain and uh, Germany were unlucky not to work, not to be ahead at the break. Um, and by half time, the game had devolved into end-to-end -end football. Spain were rattled as well. Um, and as such, Luis Enrique wasn't scared to change the uh, the plan going forward because 
Eight minutes into the into the second half, Alvaro Morata was brought on. Asensio moved out wide, and we were really getting into one moment of quality, one error by the opposition territory by the hour. Unai Simon again put his team under pressure with a poor kick out to Gundian, 25 yards out. Uh, but Simon was uh, quick to thwart Joshua Kimmich, who I felt was... He'd, he'd probably held Pedri and Gavi at bay, but going forward, he wasn't really dictating things as you would expect against Spain. He, he wasn't... Um, really getting forward all that much. It was fairly vacant. But in, in terms of doing the uh, the hard work against Gavi, against Pedri, he, he did okay. And Jamal Musiala probably outshone Pedri and Gavi, although, you know, you, you, we're probably venturing into Messi and Ronaldo territory about how many people are going to back one over the other. Uh, yeah, but uh, let's leave that to people on Twitter, shall we? And the goal almost came against the run of play for Spain. The change paid off with Alvaro Morata sneaking in on the front post, that bit of attacking movement that was lacking for Spain in the first half, obviously central attacking movement as well. Good assist for uh, Alba. Germany really not quick enough to get out to that assist. They'd had a warning sign the moments prior when the, the right-hand side of their defence was completely vacant. Silo Kera quit pretty slow to get out and Danny Almo fluffed his lines. Jordi Alba wouldn't, though, in um, providing Alvaro Morata with, uh, with another goal. So three times, three tournaments he scored for Spain, Euro 2016 and 2020, and, of course, now the World Cup. I felt up until that point, Germany probably shaded a, a very, very narrow game. Only not so much as to say they deserved a win. And I don't think they did deserve a win from this game. I think 1-1 was probably about fair. Um, they suffered a bit like Spain from having a, f a true focal point up top. And once again, uh, Nicholas Fulkrug of uh, Werder Bremen was summoned on as that uh, first part of call for Hansi Flick off the bench. And... Really, again, like Morata, it was it was a game of the substitutions changing things, really, I suppose. Musiala, though, he remained the one true shining light of um, German attacking football, really. He had the clearest chance that uh, Die National Mannschaft had had in the game so far, but one-on-one, -on -one, Unai Simon beat him and palmed his shot away. But Musiala was humble enough to allow full Krug to have the second clearest chance in roughly the same patch of land, and the Bremen striker absolutely arrowed it into the top corner, showing a bit of... Uh, of his clinical nature that's made him the top scorer in the Bundesliga so far this season, which is why he's been picked. He spent most of his career in the uh, Bundesliga's Vie and uh, 29, I think this was his third cap. Uh, first goal for his country as well. Fantastic finish as well. Um, in terms of the in terms of the entire match, Jamal Musiala probably outshone in the, uh, the Wonder Kid triple threat. I think it was mainly helped by... Uh, Germany's transitional nature and Gavi and Pedri came up against two well-seasoned midfielders in Goretzka and Kimmich, who it did help that they have that club experience alongside one another for Bayern Munich and um, weren't going to be uh, outdone by uh, a couple of Barcelona upstarts from the academy uh, with four, 39 years between them. Uh, but to be fair, they'll have, they'll have much better games and they'll have much better games to come as we go through into the knockout phase, which I'm certain that... Spain could go through, but it's not. It's not. Uh, it's not set in stone just yet. We certainly got a truer picture of Spain in here in this match than we did um, some four days ago in Costa Rica with that seven-nil evisceration. Uh, there probably is 
one of the lowest primary contenders and probably one of the best of the second tier contenders to win this tournament. You'd probably find them alongside England for me. Um, maybe the, the primary contenders, probably looking at Brazil and France based on what we've seen so far. And then it's England and Spain. Um, Argentina always got a chance with Messi, but of course we'll... Uh, We'll look at that more in depth as we end the as we end the group stages. I think we can uh, kick the can down the road a bit further along because we've still got a lot of football to cover. Um, so what's the what's the the outlook on Group E? Well, we're going to cover Japan versus Costa Rica in a minute, but we may as well get into it now. Germany have got Costa Rica next. Japan have got Spain. So essentially, Germany need a win and favors from Spain. Spain need a point to be sure. Um, but barring a miracle, miraculous win for Costa Rica against Germany, they need a win to top the group. So they won't be resting too many players early. They know all too well the troubles that Japan can cause against elite teams, despite what uh, what happened earlier on in the uh, in the day. And really, Japan and their own deficiencies really dug Germany out of a hole because it would have been. Um, some coming back from this for Germany if they uh, if they were unable if Japan were uh, beating Costa Rica but there we are a likely outcome is probably Spanish and German wins and both those teams go through but as we know by now as we should know by now this World Cup doesn't deal in likelies and uh, one facet of that to come after this short break with Japan versus Costa Rica catch you in a minute. And the other game from the group was Japan nil, Costa Rica won. Another shock to the system in Group E. Japan, they made a few changes. Ritsu Dohan, perhaps the most high-profile name coming in after his exploits in the Khalifa International Stadium against Japan. Meanwhile, Costa Rica, they changed the name as well. Uh, Kendall Watson was in the back. And surprisingly, Jewison Burnett surprisingly didn't make it, although he did feel as though this was going to be another <laughs> attempt to be an obdurate display by Costa Rica, and they certainly were. And uh, with Burnett saved until the... Uh, Till the final third of the game, that is exactly what happened. And the game went, if you watched the Japan pressing display against Germany and if you watched Costa Rica and their evisceration um, at the hands of Spain this game went exactly to type the result didn't though as we uh, as we all get into of course Japan they immediately pinned Costa Rica back who went more of a 4-4-2-4-5-1 uh, Joel Campbell could go centrally could go wide which was the, uh, the 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 beginning and end of their fluidity really they were we were all set really in the first couple of minutes with a, with a Japanese chance. That was the game for the next, well, 80 minutes, really. Um, Joel Campbell had a shot at the 34, 34th minute, which was after well over two hours of football. Costa Rica's very first shot, not shot on target, but their very first shot at this World Cup. Um, it was going to be, it was always going to be a different type of game for Japan. They were going to have more of the ball, which they did shade, um, and they were going to be playing against a team deploying a low block, which with um, the fact that they couldn't break down that low block, it made for a, a pretty poor first half. It was, as you saw the tail end of the first half conclude, it felt to me it was going to be this game of 
substitutes changing the game, which of course Japan went through Moriyasu's decisions in the second half against Germany worked to an absolute T really. It was perfect the way he uh, deployed his substitutes against Germany. Um, and really it was going to be bound to second half desperation where the result lay. Japan moved to a back three and within 20 seconds through um, Takuma Asano um, forced a, a good save from Kaylor Navas, who I felt, uh, again, didn't look as sprightly as he once did, but he kept a clean sheet in this game and made two or three crucial saves to uh, to keep Costa Rica essentially in this tournament, really. And it was mainly Asano in the first 15 minutes of the second half, once coming on that he sparked that initiative early on, but it quickly died down because the game ground down into what was exactly the way it did in the first half, exactly the way Costa Rica wanted it as well. Stay behind the ball, spring, pick your moments, and hopefully snatch a one-goal win. And Costa Rica have been this attacking, counter-attacking team for a long time. Um, there are exciting ways to be counter-attacking. Japan showed just that against Germany. This really wasn't it. Um, regardless, it doesn't matter. They both came out with the same result, a win in a counter-attacking display. And um, that was thanks to... A, a bit of a goalkeeping error, uh, one shot on target for Costa Rica in two games, and they've got three points out of it as well. Fuller, it was a curling shot, which you'd expect the keeper to uh, save. The, the goalkeeper, I've never quite seen it in such a high-profile game like this, jumps too early, um, and he can't get enough purchase on the ball, slaps it into the top corner of the net. And, um, yeah, Japan were cursed really for this lapsing back into lack of movement even with the introduction of uh, Mitoma even with the reintroduction of Junya Ito into the squad and Minamino was brought on with eight minutes to play um, and it wasn't really given much chance to uh, to affect things and as it was Japan really probably didn't do enough to win uh, it was the ultimate smash and grab by Costa Rica their game plan worked to perfection just as Japan's did against Germany and now Costa Rica have got uh, Germany next um, but despite this result you struggle really to see them getting anything especially against a Germany team that are on the brink but 2018 um, we we uh, we thought Germany had dragged themselves out with a win against Sweden didn't we in uh, in Russia with that Tony Crow's last minute winner and then they fell to South Korea and a stunning defensive display from them so maybe Costa Rica can pull something out of the bag and maybe it's more 2014 than uh, heartbreak of 2002 and 2006 for the uh, for the uh, Caribbean outfits and for Japan they play Spain um, and for me, Japan playing Spain is a bit... I think it's a better game for Japan, in all honesty. They probably are going to be this type of team in this World Cup that play better against better teams. But when there's a low block in front of them, they can't get round it. They look to exploit the place, places, uh, spaces left behind by the defence. They look to exploit um, passing teams, short passing, slow tempo teams. And that's exactly what Spain are. And uh, Japan, don't count them out just yet. Don't count them out just yet. Of course, the the, the favourites will always be Spain and Germany in this group. And um, regardless of other results, Germany, you'd expect to get a win against Costa Rica. Spain, get a uh, a win against Japan. But um, we all know, we all know, especially from this group, that this group is not cut and dry. And another group which definitely wasn't cut and dry as we move forward in this, in this episode is Group F, where we saw Belgium meet Morocco and then... Croatia meet 
Canada will be discussing both of those games after this short break in the second half of today's show. Welcome back. So the early afternoon kickoff was Belgium versus Morocco. Belgium, they made a raft of changes. Torgan Hazard was in, Amadou Arnana was in, Thomas Mounier was in too. Morocco had to change the goalkeeper pre-match as uh, it proved not to be a beautiful day for Bonner who went down with uh, with illness. And um, it was... It was maybe questionable what shape Belgium would in. It was it was roughly the same shape, but it was a slight tweak because Torgan Hazard is going to be more offensive than Yannick Carrasco on, on that left wing-back role. Um, Castagna was in left centre-half, so he was always going to be a lot more offensive than, um, than either of the other wide central defenders that have played for Belgium so far. So it was a slight, it was probably a more fluid system, back three, back four at times. Um, Thomas Munier, we know bombs on as well. Um, could easily um, could easily have gone another way. We thought we were expecting Belgium surely must have uh, plucked out a performance from somewhere. The the previous match they certainly flattered to deceive against Canada, but still came away with the uh, with the win there. They got the goal from one of a very few rare collection of chances from Michi Batshuayi, who made his 50th appearance. No Romelu Lukaku until the uh, until the next game, it seems, the all-important group decider now with Croatia. Uh, but it did make it onto the pitch, albeit for about 10 minutes, didn't really have much of a touch or much of a presence, really, of, of anything, really. So, um, yeah, it just went the way that uh, Belgium's day went in, a, in in all fairness. Um, down the left-hand side with Castagna and Torgan Hazard, whilst Hazard would bomb on down the left-hand side with his brother tucking in in this 3-4-2-1 shape. Um, they did make it way, make the way back to uh, double up on Hakim Ziyech, who was, of course, one of the uh, the major, major danger men. Um, and really, the right-hand side was always going to be the where the game was won and lost with Ziyech and uh, Hakimi down one side for the Moroccans, their two-star players. And then somewhat of a new approach from Roberto Martinez's Belgium, especially with Aiden Hazard tucking in, Togan Hazard bombing on down the left, Castagna left back, left wing back at times and centre half sometimes as well. Um, Morocco were in a much lower block than Canada were against Belgium. Retaining that 4-1-4-1 formation that proved so stoic against um, against Croatia, where they got the uh, the goalless draw in the previous game, and um, the rare chances to to counter from Morocco really, and it, it helped Belgium ease into the game. They were flustered. They were bamboozled in that first half against Canada when they pressed and pressed and pressed them. And to me, I felt it though it were a bit of a missed opportunity by Morocco to to try and flummox a, an aging centre-half partnership in Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. And with Yusuf Ennasiri up top, Sofian Bufal, Hakim Ziyech as a, um, as a front three, of course, you could have really got at this got out this Belgium defence. But Morocco, they bided the time. You, you got to give it them um, that. But the first half was night and day for Belgium, really, between the first game and the second game, mainly, I think, due to the opposition's dour tactics. You could maybe have a uh, have an argument if Belgium got the result here that you praise Roberto Martinez for tweaking that three at the back system a little bit. Obviously, it was always going to fall back into the same system um, off the ball and defensively, but um, some some changes, very little minute changes, um, which looked as though against the opposition they were going to play and the difference between Canada and Morocco 
that they uh, could have found some joy, but unfortunately they uh, weren't able to uh, take their chances, essentially. Morocco, as you would expect, mainly used their right-hand side, and they went the closest in the first half. Ashraf Hakimi blazed over the bar with the outside of his foot. Now, Belgium, they had control, but they didn't have too many chances. I thought Eden Hazard, Michy Batshuayi, completely off it. Thomas Mounier's delivery in the final third was poor, something that um, I think has followed him around at a lot of clubs. Now, Borussia Dortmund, I don't think his delivery into the box, his crossing was any any good. The defence weren't really even tested. Um, they got out there, get out of jail free card really towards the end of the first half, just as they had at the start of the first half against Canada when uh, when Morocco was um, was unfortunately had a disallowed goal through Hakim Ziyech, the disallowed goal, correctly as well, because Roman Saiz, he didn't get a touch on the ball, but he was in uh, Tim- uh, Timothy, uh, Thibaut Courtois' eyeline, and uh, it did force him to sort of hedge his bets and came up with uh, neither, and the ball was in the net, and uh, yeah, quite rightly ruled out for offside. Um, um, really, and that was a huge warning sign that Belgium took, should have taken, and it was right on half time. So they had 15 minutes to stew on it, a lot like what you'd see with Canada later on, which we'll discuss. Um, but Belgium, they just did not uh, do anything with it, really. Kevin De Bruyne was probably the only Belgium who looked worthy of creating anything. Um, Togan Hazard was kind of sharp in that left, left half space. But apart from that, there was very, very little. Onana didn't do as well as he did when he came off the bench against against Canada. Axel Witzel looked as old as uh, what he is. The defence as well did. Uh, Castagna, I mean, yeah, maybe. It was okay. Um, but mainly Belgium, they deserved to lose this game because, well, they didn't definitely didn't deserve to take anything from it. And Morocco, they struck from a set piece. Um, the defending was, again, holding them up. And they have, still haven't conceded in this tournament yet. And they've played Belgium and Croatia. It's quite astounding, really. Sofian Amrabat in the number six was absolutely miraculous again. If, he, if Morocco go deep into this tournament, and to be fair, they can do, he should be one of the um, one of the front contenders to be in the team of the tournament. He's been absolutely superb this uh, this tournament. And second half, Morocco were in the ascendancy. Sofian Bufal, I felt, grew into the match and he was absolutely superb. He almost curled, curled one into the bottom corner. I jumped out of my seat when that just whistled wide. And um, yeah, he was, he was fantastic. Uh, and so were the, the deliveries from free kicks. And where Belgium failed to... He'd the warning sign in the first half, uh, almost a carbon copy of that disallowed goal, took place. And it was Roman size bearing down on goal for Thibaut Courtois as well. But he he, he knew he could leave the ball and uh, keep Courtois in two minds as, uh, as Sabiri, former Huddersfield Town legend, didn't score for Huddersfield, scores in a World Cup from uh, from an in-swinging free kick. And um, yeah, you've got to take it to... To, to Morocco, you got to give it them. They, they definitely deserved it. They deserved the lead and they doubled their lead, which puts just that extra little bit of pressure onto Belgium, doesn't it, going into that uh, that final game. A great goal on the count, a lovely bit of skill by Ziyech to set up his uh, set up his compatriot and a great finish as well, you've got to say. And, and Morocco to Belgium nil. A lot of people have been calling this World Cup boring and yes, a lot of games have suffered. For me, I think it's not because of the heat, not because of the the mid-season turnaround. I think it's because of the the quickness of the turnaround. Some teams having, some players having six, seven days before a tournament prior to their last league match, I don't think help things whatsoever. Maybe if there was an extra break, maybe you take that last weekend out of the calendar, put it back in 
to the calendar later on, we might have had a bit more preparation. And because teams haven't had that much preparation, they're going to lapse back into defensive-minded tactics. And tournaments are defensive anyway. You don't need a lack of preparation to uh, make them any more defensive than what they already are. And I think that's what's... Um, been the reasoning for so many nil-nil, so many one-nil, so many tight games. But you've got to say, alongside the huge North African support, alongside the uh, Central Asian support as well for, for teams like Iran, it's been fantastic to watch some teams like Morocco, like Saudi Arabia, Japan as well, spring these great surprises. And um, for me, yes, th there hasn't been as many goals as what you'd like. A lot of games, um, some games have contained lots of goals, some barely troubled the net um but for me it's almost worth it to get some of these shocks and some of these fantastic displays from these teams that are buoyed by uh really european underperformance so far and some giant over underperformances really and next for both teams it's belgium with croatia next now this is a shootout for the knockout spot and there's an outside chance that both qualify with a draw and a big Canada win over Morocco. But as we'll see with uh, Canada's big defeat later on in the day, that is very, very hard to believe. So it looks as though it's Morocco and one of Belgium and Croatia, which fantastic news for Morocco because they are in the, they look as though they will be in the knockout phase for the first time since 1986. And by the way, Morocco have won three times at World Cups. First against Portugal in 1986 then against Scotland in 1998 and now Belgium. So three big, well, two big European teams in Scotland. No offence, Scotland, but in terms of reputation, it's probably two really big European teams and an okay one, I suppose. Um, but it looks as though Morocco are going to be in the last 16. It'd be fantastic for African football. It'd be fantastic for this World Cup because the support they're bringing to the... Uh, to the tournament, if that long may that continue, because it's been absolutely superb, and they'll uh, face a stern test in the uh, in the next round, of course. And joining them, well, it, it won't be Canada. It may be Croatia, and we'll cover both teams after this short break. Welcome back. Oh, 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 Canada. Well, both teams made a change. Kyle Lorin was in for Junior Hoylet, whilst Croatia made one change as well. Levaya in for Nikola Vlasic, which meant that uh, Andre Kramaric moved to the right and he will become an important set piece for this game but we'll discuss him later on. So right from the off, Canada looked to bypass the midfield with a long well, long ball to Kyle Lorin. We knew that, uh, well, we predicted anyway, that because of Canada's rapid transitions and sometimes a lack of a midfield that they could get caught against one of the the best midfields and really the experience of one of the best midfields in this World Cup and they looked to bypass that immediately did so Tejon Buchanan crossing to Alfonso Davis and there the moment was the moment we should have had four days ago with Alfonso Davies' penalty, which was unfortunately saved by Thibaut Courtois. He had it with an absolute bullet header inside. I think about 90 seconds. It was certainly before the two-minute mark. And uh, first Canadian goal in a World Cup ever at the fifth time of asking. And uh, we couldn't. I couldn't even barely tell what, um, what formation they were deploying, really, because John Herdman sets them up very, very... Uh, lucidly fluid fluid and uh, it looked more to be a 442 out of possession 352 um in it um, not aggressive as a high line as uh, not aggressive a press as well as they had against Belgium but they still counted at pace they still had that P 
peerless energy off the ball as well. Um, and off the ball, Alfonso Davies looks superb. He's easily the, mon- the most entertaining player of the um, of the game in uh, in the Khalifa Stadium, which has brought the most goals. Maybe it's because it's a bit too bit far away from the for the crowd. I don't know that that probably won't factor into it, will it? But uh, Dejan Buchanan bringing uh, bringing some uh, good action down the right again as well. Uh, would flip from wing to wing as well, and he's probably. We expect Alfonso Davis to be really, really good, don't we? So it's, it's probably um, his his uh, contributions have probably been reduced. I think Jonathan David has slightly underperformed his reputation. Uh, Kyler Inn looked fairly decent when he came on um, in the in the first game. Looked all right in the second game too. But uh, Sejan Buchanan of uh, Club Bruges was uh, fantastic again and probably something that uh, most people will take from this World Cup for Canada, his performances. Really, I thought it was even more impressive tracking back, which there was a lot to do in this game because you've got a, a Croatian team who are a lot more incisive than what Belgium were and a lot more experienced in terms of um, their midfield as well. So it was uh, always going to be a bit more difficult, but they still had Eustaquio following Luka Modric around absolutely everywhere. I felt he did a really good job until he picked up that, uh, that muscle injury. But um, yeah, Croatia's midfield, they dropped... They dropped in, so it was almost like a 4-5-1 at times and it looked to play the numbers game, really. And Modric was playing a bit, a bit of a throwback, really, to when he used to play more or so as a number 10 for his national team. But uh, defensively, they did look a little bit wobbly in the first half, at least, to the uh, like really quick, speedy uh, Canadian transitions. But once they set in for the long haul and once Canada, as they did in the uh, the first game against Belgium, once they slowed down a little bit, it was very hard for Canada to get back into the game. And... Really, the uh, what set Croatia away was Andre Kramaric. Now, he moved from his central position that he, de- he was deployed in against Morocco, moved out wide. He was always tucking back into central positions as well, though. But uh, I do think he's more dangerous on the right. The disallowed goal shows that as well. Um, tidy finish, but unfortunately, an offside in the build-up. Um, he would drift out onto the left as well. He caught Canada's defence asleep for the equaliser. Squeezed a great finish as well. So we know he's got that finish in him. It's just... The positions he takes up and who's around him is really where he's lacking. And he's not Hoffenheim's greatest ever goal scorer for no reason, is he? I know Hoffenheim had a big European name, but they've been one of the mainstays in the Bundesliga for the past 10, 15 years. So that must count for something. And Kramerich has been at the heart of it now since maybe 2017, 2018. He's just been absolutely immense for them. And if he can find himself in pockets of space and around players that... Uh, know his game inside out. I think he'll do very, very good for, for Croatia. And a lot of people, yeah, they, they slag off um, Croatia's lack of number nine, lack of goal score. But Kramaric can easily be that. He just needs to be played in the correct position. And I don't think him playing out wide will make his goal tally suffer. I think it'll improve it on the national stage and international tournaments as well, where he can he can flit around a little bit. You've also got um, fullbacks now for Croatia who can get forward as well and overlap, so he can tuck in at times. And um, that goal was coming for uh, for Croatia. And by halftime, two great finishes, Levaya into the bottom corner. Fantastic, fantastic goal. And he can be that man as well, centrally. He's prolific for his, uh, for his club team. Um, and now we've half time left to uh, sit on this quick turnaround, the 2-1 uh, deficit now for Canada. We had the chance to see what their character was all about. Um, they were facing a team that were a lot more, well, a lot better on the ball than Belgium. It seemed like they were 
able to control the game and be uh, incisive in the final third as well. As a result, Canada changed to a 5-3-2. Alfonso Davies and Jonathan David up front. Osario, one of the subs, went very, very close. And that, if that had squeezed in off the post, that would have changed the entire game a couple of minutes into the second half. But with that change tactically, with the change in personnel as well, Canada looked even more susceptible to the counter. And that is probably one of the um, the negative things you could probably um, say about Canada in this World Cup. A bit of an experience, flooding forward and a bit susceptible to the counter. But as I say that, they have been a breath of fresh air in this World Cup. Yes, ultimately naive. Yes, inexperienced, but... A very, very good watch and really in a group that's, uh, well, really in a World Cup where most of the games have been stoic, obdurate, low scoring affairs. And yes, Canada's first game were 1-0, but they have been very, very pleasing on the eye. Yes, they haven't got, they've got five losses to their name in World Cup history, two more in this tournament. But they've been good to watch and all those games have been entertaining. Yes, that they won't want that, especially not in four years when they, uh, when they co-host the World Cup and hope to get through the group stages. But this is this is a free hit, ultimately. They've, this is their first World Cup since 1986. And they've shown they are a lot different to the flat pack international football that we've seen from about 24, 25 other teams. And they've just done a little bit of something different and showed what they're really about. And I'm, I'm probably not speaking for everybody here, but I've loved it. And um, midfield was ultimately lacking. That's probably their weakest part, even despite of uh, Eustaquio, um, Atiba Hutchinson. But in the end, it's it's the fatigue that counts, um, that's counted for Canada's inability to get back into games. They've trailed at both half times against Belgium and Croatia. Let's let's get it straight: Belgium and Croatia, two exper two of the most experienced teams in this tournament, and you know, semi finalists in Belgium, finalists in Croatia from 2018. They could have been lumped in with an easier group, couldn't they? Really, but uh, they've I think they've done quite well for themselves. Yes, Kramaric got a second goal for himself, scored a bit too easily in the and the fourth was caught on a bit of a defensive error in stoppage time, and Lovra Meyer stuck it away. Four one, yeah, it probably doesn't tell the whole story, but Canada, they've they've done themselves proud. Yes, they are the second team eliminated from this World Cup behind uh, us, Qatar, but. I think uh, it's something to be proud of. And the next game against Morocco, time to restore some pride, go for that first World Cup win. I think that could be a highly entertaining fixture with Morocco needing a series of um, unfortunate events, so to speak, to uh, go out of this World Cup by this point uh, as Croatia and Belgium shoot out for that final spot. So a good chance for Canada to not have another go at it. Morocco are good defensively. I mean, they'll be looking to uh, get a win to secure top spot, won't they? So, because you could be, they could, given what Germany may or may not do, they could be facing uh, an easier quote-unquote opposition in the uh, in the last sixteen. So they'll be wanting to go for the uh, for top spot as well, and it's all set up in Group F to be a monumental final day, just as it is in Group E. And we've got two more groups to preview in the uh, in the final in the final part of today's episode where. The second match day is coming to an end today, and it'll be the final 10 a.m. kickoff here in uh, here in Britain. What a, what an end of an era this is, and what a week this has been. Uh, but uh, we'll end today's show by previewing the likes of Brazil, Portugal, and Uruguay after this short break. 
Welcome back. Let's start with Group G, shall we? Brazil versus Switzerland, Cameroon versus Serbia. Switzerland, just as Serbia were, I think it represents a similar task for Brazil. Um, very good defensive uh, defensive team. Could be a little bit of a threat on the counter, but I think Serbia were probably uh, better in that department. Um, I think this is a, a group gearing towards that final day um, between Switzerland and Serbia, unless Cameroon can spring a surprise against the uh, the Serbians later on. They did show a little bit of something that uh, we probably weren't expecting against the Swiss in the first game. So it's not all cut and dry so far. Just ask the other groups, which we thought it was cut and dry for. And... Uh, very little of that has uh, has been achieved. We've only had, we've only got one team booked into the last sixteen for the uh, ahead of the uh, third match day. So that's, that's incredible. That's an incredible feat, really, isn't it? When you think of uh, sometimes how uh, these World Cups just a fairly simple formulaic, but this far from that. Neymar is unfortunately out for the groups, but you, you've got to think that at least for the group stages, they've got more than enough to see through Switzerland and then uh, Cameroon in the third game. I mean, the amount of talent they've got going forward. And I think maybe it could help Brazil um, learn to play without Neymar, learn to not have that, that burden of the talisman a bit like what we see with Portugal, with Argentina, with the obvious, of course. Something that maybe... Um, went against Canada in a way with Alfonso Davies, but um, I don't think it'll hinder Brazil too much going forward. Again, they've got a glut of talent, haven't they? You could just reel them off. I'm not going to, but uh, there we are. And Serbia and Cameroon, they are pointless going into this, so we are unlikely to see, unless this is a draw, we're unlikely to see Brazil home and hosed by the, uh, for the last 16 ahead of the third match day. So this is this is, um, a huge game for both teams. Cameroon, I felt were... I felt were surprising in a good way I felt um, one of the weaker African teams unfortunately but they showed um, they showed they, they were good at controlling games and good at uh, taking the game to Switzerland in the uh, first match day but they unfortunately were stung by an early second half goal Serbia I felt as well they held on very well against uh, against Brazil perhaps were a bit too frightened to go for the kill um, did we've all seemingly lost um, a 1-0 down against Brazil go for it and did have a sustained amount of pressure against Brazil so I think they'll probably have a little bit too much for Cameroon but I wouldn't be able to uh, predict with any certainty that they'll uh, get any anything like three points in that game and we go to group h where we will start things off with south korea versus ghana and then portugal versus uruguay i hope the south korea ghana game is open transitional similar a bit to cameroon and serbia both need wins South Korea probably a little less than um, than Ghana after Ghana really should have got a point from that Portugal game. Poor Yaki Williams, I hope he's recovered in time um, from in the, that embarrassment to uh, go again and hopefully um, we'll see uh, a pretty entertaining game. South Korea-Ghana, the only two teams, the only match really in this group without any uh, revenge playing a part in it really um, as they've not eliminated one another really from it from a World Cup before. And it gives Ghana a good chance. I felt they, uh, they set up quite well. They've, they've got everything there to uh, 
to really to really go at this this South Korea team, but we'll we'll see we'll see. And um, in terms of uh, Portugal and Uruguay, well, it's one, one of the big games between the two heavy hitters, isn't it? Really, a win for Portugal sends them through. Uruguay looked a little bit old up front. They'll probably have to freshen something up there or thereabouts. Would they take Suarez out? Maybe. I'm, I can't see it for such a big game. But this is a repeat of the 2018 last 16 game, which was superb. Two great Cavani goals as well in that. So maybe Cavani will come on. Maybe he'll start. Who knows? But uh, I think Uruguay, and especially their midfield, especially their defence, deserve a more incisive team going forward. And really, Uruguay could be heading into... Bit of a crunch game with Ghana. If they if they lose this game, could be heading to an all or nothing game with Ghana. Um, if they don't get a win in this match today, which I mean, on the face of it, you've got two teams that are they seem destined to be exciting and be uh, be really good, but they underachieve ultimately, don't they? Both of them. Uruguay have probably been one of the more consistent teams, but I think they've got a better team this time around, and they really should be troubling semi finals maybe outside shot for that but that is up for debate today and we'll cover all four games on tomorrow's show and thank you very much for listening and watching if you did over there on youtube and until then thank you so much and silly up the three lines Podcast Network.